Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder that you are worthy of our hallelujah. You are good, and your judgments are true and just. Lord, help us to see your kingdom come, your will be done, and continue to draw us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where there was a movie that was on the horizon of coming out, or maybe there was a vacation that was coming up that you were looking forward to so much that you kind of made a joke and you'd say, oh Jesus, come soon, but can you wait until after I take that vacation? Can you wait until after I see that movie? Last week, my wife asked me, Jack, what was your favorite vacation? Think about that. What was your favorite vacation? I I couldn't pin it down to just one, but one of my favorites was our 10-year wedding anniversary vacation to Savannah, Georgia. Savannah's beautiful, it was relaxing, and it was a much-needed getaway for Jen and I. But after I answered her question, I was quickly reminded of a national news story that was happening at that same time. One that stood in complete contrast to our celebration. This was the fall of 2009, and it was the story of Summer Thompson. Many of you know the story. I won't go into the details, but for those of you who don't know, it was a seven-year-old girl who was kidnapped on her way home from school and never came back home. I remember feeling so torn as I sat across from my wife at dinner, wanting to enjoy this moment, but also looking at the news and just thinking how there was a small part of me that almost wanted to go back home and help in any way I could. I wanted justice. And as I thought about it more, I realized I knew her story because it was in the news. It was local, right here in our backyard. But what about evil all throughout the world that exploits and abuses children and adults that we never hear about? We live in a world where many people lust after abuse of power, sexual immorality, and a love for money. J.C. Ryle, a 19th century bishop Anglican, uh, Anglican bishop, in his book, Thoughts for Young Men, which is a great book, by the way, writes about the importance of getting a clear view of the evil of sin. He writes, Think what sin has already done on the earth. Think how it threw Adam and Eve out of Eden, brought the flood upon the old world, caused fire to come down on Sodom and Gomorrah, drowned Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, destroyed the seven wicked nations of Canaan, scattered the 12 tribes of Israel across the face of the earth. Sin alone did all of this. 
Think, moreover, of all the misery and sorrow that sin has caused and is causing to this very day. And this was spoken in the 1800s. Pain, disease, death, strifes, quarrels, divisions, envy, jealousy, malice, deceit, fraud, cheating, violence, oppression, and robbery, selfishness, unkindness, ingratitude. All these are the fruit of sin. Sin is the parent of them all. It is sin that has so marred and spoiled the face of God's creation. End quote. You see, we live in this tension between seeing the the nature of evil throughout the world, and we see it and it's disgusting. But on the other hand, we have these natural invested interests and pleasures in this world, many of which who try to convince us that they will satisfy us more than God. Our text this morning definitively declares God alone is worthy of our hallelujah. So we must examine ourselves and ask, what is the object of my hallelujah? Is it God? Or is it finally getting what I want and what I long for in this world? There are two definitions of hallelujah. There is the biblical definition, and there is the world's definition. The word simply means praise God, Hallel, and Yah, the short and firm of God's name, Yahweh. For those of you who are curious, as I was years ago, the difference between hallelujah and alleluia is simply that hallelujah is the Hebrew transliteration into English, which was then transliterated into Greek and then again into Latin, from which we get alleluia. It's the same word. And it may surprise you that despite how often you hear this word in worship and in our songs, it's only found four times in one place in the Bible, in the English word. And that's in our passage this morning. It's used 24 times in the Psalms, but it's translated, praise the Lord. So wherever you see praise the Lord throughout the Psalms, you can know in Hebrew, that's hallelujah. But like so many other things in the Bible, the world has taken this sacred word and it's distorted it just enough to mean something completely different. Handel's Hallelujah Chorus is extensively used in movies and television as an expression, as a punchline to say, finally, it's about time. I get what I want. The scene that readily comes to mind is, is Christmas vacation when Clark Griswold had decorated his house with all of those lights and he brought those two extension cords together and he didn't realize that his wife was in the house and she flipped on the switch that finally gave him the electricity he needed and the lights came on and we hear the hallelujah chorus. The world gets one thing right. Hallelujah is a response but a response to what? I ask again, what is the object of your hallelujah? Is it God? 
Or is it finally getting what you want and what you long for? Our passage begins as a response to all that transpired in the previous chapter, chapter 18. In verse 2, we see that God has judged the great prostitute. Who is the prostitute? Well, in chapter 18, she is described as Babylon, which is a personified world system that's based on abuse of power, sexual immorality, and a love of money. John, in part, was thinking of Rome, the current oppressive empire that was oppressing and persecuting Christians, but living in debauchery. But like so many Old Testament prophets before him, he was thinking beyond Rome, beyond Nineveh, beyond Babylon and Assyria. He was thinking of the spirit of Rome that carries on into this very day. Listen to the description in Revelation 18, verses 2 and 3. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings, the rulers of the earth, have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. In John's vision, God brings an end to this seemingly untouchable system, this reign of Babylon. And we read that when this happens, all those rulers and those merchants are found weeping and mourning and wailing. Why? Because the object of their hallelujah was in getting what they wanted. At any cost, with disregard of what God wanted. This is in direct contrast to this loud uh, sound, the multitude that says, hallelujah, praise God. Why is God worthy of our praise? Well, we see in verse 1, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. What does that mean? It means that God is in control. In verse 8, we see that he's referred to as the Almighty who reigns or who has begun to reign. Almighty simply means one who is in control of all things. God is in control of all creation. He's in control of deliverance. And we see now he's in control of end times. Salvation, glory, and power belong to God because his judgments are true and just. We read this in verse 2. They're true because he's all-knowing. He doesn't look at the externals. He knows the heart of man and woman. They are just because God is good. He is holy. There is no sin in him. And so his just, just judgments are trustworthy. Salvation, glory, and power belong to God because he has judged the great prostitute, the great Babylon. Also in verse 2. Listen to the arrogance of this system and seemingly untouchable power in chapter 18, verse 7. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, 
So give her, God, a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and mourning I'll never see. Famous last words. Consider how many people throughout the world, throughout time, have pleaded for justice after being cheated, abused, wrongfully imprisoned or killed at the hands of this system, this lust for power, for immorality, for money. Think of all the saints throughout time who have been persecuted and martyred simply for being obedient to Jesus Christ. In verse 3, it says, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. No, this isn't the smoke that we see coming up out of Burger King on Highway 17. That's what I pictured when I first read that. This is a vivid description of the complete finality and irreversibility of God's judgment. Listen to the vivid description of the abrupt end to those whose hallelujah isn't always getting what they want, regardless of what God wants. Chapter 18, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. And all nations were deceived by your sorcery, your poison. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. You know, at first this sounds like God's just sucking all the joy out of the world. But it hurts us because we wrestle with this ourselves. We are tempted to believe this world has everything we need to be satisfied. Eat, drink, and be merry, they say. Who has, who has any need for God? But if God is the object of your hallelujah, you will not mourn. You will not weep nor wail when this comes to an end. You will join in with the praise Finally, salvation, glory, and power belong to God because in verses 4 and 5, he delights in the praises of the great and the small. It is no small thing that God is a God of the great and the small. You all know what it's like to be passed over because you weren't smart enough. You weren't attractive enough. You weren't wealthy enough. You weren't funny enough. But God shows no partiality. He looks at the heart. He says the person he esteems is contrite of heart, who recognizes their need for him and him alone. Salvation, power, and glory belong to God. His judgments are just and true. He will bring an end 
to the sin in the world, and he delights in the worship of all people, great and small. He is worthy of our hallelujah. But there is one more reason that John says God is worthy of our hallelujah, and that's in verses 6 through 8. God clothes the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, with righteousness. We see another great multitude. We don't know if these are the saints or some angelic beings, but they too shout hallelujah at the marriage of the Lamb. See, throughout the Old Testament, the relationship between Israel and God was always compared to that of a husband and wife. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus frequently used illustrations of weddings, marriages, to foretell the coming of of the kingdom of God. And Paul just says it very clearly. You are the bride of Christ, church. Why is this metaphor of marriage used so often? Because it has those elements that God longs for in relationship with each of you. Love, joy, intimate communion, and fidelity. Now, this may not describe marriages that we see around us, but that's not because it's a flawed institution. We are the flawed people who are in desperate need of a Savior. Note also in verse 8 the relationship between God's grace and human response. It says, His bride has made herself ready for this marriage. And then again, later it says, it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen. This is the same language we read in Philippians chapter 2 when Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according, uh, in order to fulfill his good purpose. The bride's garments are described as righteous deeds. Why is this important? Because in chapter 18, the great prostitute, the description of her garments was this. Alas, alas, the the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. Do you see all the external beauty? But the beauty of the bride of Christ is inner beauty. It's that of character. It's righteous deeds that are granted to us by God. It begs the question, how do you make yourself ready for Christ with righteous deeds? This is not a way of earning your salvation. This is an expression of you being ready, alert, sober-minded. The answer to that is by being faithful, by being loyal to worship God when you're constantly tempted by the world, that you don't need him. That what you need is that one thing you long for. God is worthy of our hallelujah because salvation, power, and glory belong to him. And he clothes the redeemed sinners with righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Great and small, you are all invited. 
He wants to be in relationship with you. And if you don't have that relationship with God, I encourage you, confess your sin to him and believe in your heart and profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior. He took your judgment to the cross. Christians, it is easy to see Babylon as something that is out there, something that is outside of us. But Babylon is not a place. It is something that we wrestle with in our own lives every day. It's that sinful nature. What is the object of your hallelujah? Is it God or is it finally getting what you want and long for irregardless of what God wants? So the application is quite simple. Use the sacred word. I know we say it a lot when we gather together, but in your homes, with your children, with your grandchildren, speak the word hallelujah. If you are living in victory, speak the word hallelujah. If you're living with loss and suffering, speak the word out loud. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. His judgments are true and just. He is in control, even when I am tempted to think he is not. He will bring an end to sin, and he delights in all those who revere him, great or small. And he clothes the saints with righteousness in preparation for his coming. Let us close in prayer. Father, thank you for giving us this word that we share even with the angelic hosts. Hallelujah. You are worthy of praise, God. Lord, wherever we are and whatever measure of faith we have, whether in suffering, suffering or celebration, Lord, we profess that you are indeed the Almighty who reigns. And we thank you that whatever the world may say, we know you love us and you've called us into a relationship with you. Lord, may we remember the words of Christ to love one another as he loved and loves us, that he gave his life for his bride. Lord, help us to look to our neighbors, to our enemies, to give you praise and to show your light and your love to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name, amen.